My name is Scott Weiss, and you're listening to Let's Get to Work, the podcast series that dives deep into recruiting and hiring trends, the global workforce, the future of work, job search tips, technology, and more. Hi, everyone. It's Scott Weiss. I am here with Fred Rundle. Fred, Fred works in public education here in the Seattle area. He's been with his current school district for 10 years, starting as a principal, now as an assistant superintendent. Uh, Fred has a degree in history from the University of Puget Sound, a master's degree from the University of Colorado, and a doctorate in education from Seattle University. And you're still learning, I'm sure. Every day. <laughs> and uh, it's great to have you, Fred. Thanks hey, for being here. Scott, thanks for having me today. Yeah, so um, Fred, what was your first job? Oh, you know, the first job that I had, paying job perhaps, was actually working for Pizza Hut. I was uh, in uh, washing dishes or whatnot, but I'd say my first job was probably just supporting my family, being with my family, and being part of a family unit and the responsibilities that come with that. But I'd say my first paying job was at Pizza Hut. Got it. And did you start working for money at Pizza Hut while you were still in high school? I was high school. So I was uh, Pizza Hut for a while. I worked in ski, a ski business, uh, renting skis uh, during the winters and golf shops during the summer. So you know, as part of that responsibility of once you can drive, uh, in our family it was, it was time to go to work. Got it. And where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a mountain town uh, west of Denver, uh, Evergreen, Colorado. Uh, and so still have family back there, but the University of Puget Sound brought me here. And then I taught down in Southern California after graduating, uh, then headed back to Denver uh, as a married man and uh, taught and then became a principal and then decided with my wife, we had met at the University of Puget Sound, that this is where we wanted to raise our family. So we moved back here uh, just over 10 years ago. Fantastic. And um, any memories that stand out from your first job at Pizza Hut that maybe influenced you one way or the other as you progressed in your work life? You know, the biggest lesson I learned there is I didn't stick with it long enough, and my parents helped me to understand that. I only worked there for probably a month or two, and then... uh, it was probably the only job I ever quit from. And I think I learned more from quitting from the job than anything, and my parents really instilling in me that that's not the work ethic that uh, that they were expecting, that you don't quit if you don't have something else, and what are you trying to accomplish there? And so um, from then on, you know, I, I don't think I've ever quit from a job other than I've left a job because I was ready to move on to, to Colorado and take another position. But um, that work ethic piece, that was an important lesson. So what you're saying is that um, you quit the job at Pizza Hut without really having anything else that you were going to go do. You just didn't want to do it. Exactly. I was young. I was 16, and I didn't like washing dishes. I wanted to be doing something else, and I didn't like the hours, and so I quit. And um, looking back on that, um, you know, I learned a lot about myself and what I really wanted to accomplish. Um, and it wasn't to just walk away from something because you don't like it. You're not going to like a lot of things in life. Um, but you stick with it and you find some other opportunities and then you need to, you know, move on. My father-in-law, he, I remember him sharing with me very early on in my relationship with my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, you know, he always said to me, um, you know, what you want to do is think about a year ago. And are you in a better position now? Are you happier? Are you, you know, feeling more successful? Do you have a better sense of self-efficacy today than you did a year ago? And I've tried to do that every year is try to find a new way and probably 
that's why I've continued with my education and learning. And his, and his reasoning there was that if you reflect back and you don't, then you can sort of look at the choices that you made That's right. and not maybe make those same choices in the future. That's right. And, and you know, to, to make sure that you are, are in a, a position where you're challenging yourself and pushing yourself. Um, I also know that um, as a white male, um, there's a certain amount of um, privilege, there's a lot of privilege and opportunity that I probably have. Um, and it's not taking advantage of those, but being aware of them and then making sure that I'm trying to do better for the world um, from where I'm coming from. And that's part of getting better each year. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned quitting because um, as a child, we're often taught that you never quit. You know, you never right. quit anything. But there's a, a writer uh, and he's a big marketing guy. His name's Seth, Seth Godin. And he has a book, he has a series of books, but one of his books is called The Dip. And his big philosophy in that book is that quitting is actually not only okay, but it's, it's a good thing if you're quitting for the right reasons, meaning you're gonna redirect the energy to some, from that to something else. And a lot of times in life, people hold on to things that they probably should have quit a long time ago, That's even right. in business. Um, but in your case with Pizza Hut, it was quitting just because you didn't wanna do it not redirecting that energy somewhere else. That's Eventually, right, I wasn't going on to do something more productive. It wasn't so I could, whether or not it was another job or spend my time in a different way with my family or to support something, that wasn't it. It was a very selfish reason. It was all about me being young and thinking about, I just want more time with friends. I want more time to do that. And um, you know that was, that was a good lesson, but I, I couldn't agree with that more, that there are times I need to walk away from something. Um, and whether or not that's because it's personally damaging to you or you're just not contributing to that, you don't have that passion for it. Um, in education, the business I'm in, it is the worst position, it's, it's the worst profession I can imagine being in if you don't love what you do, because it is hard work, it is tough, um, but uh, you know, if you love it, uh, it brings so much joy each and every day. Fantastic, so on that note, when did a path in education professionally become a reality for you? Um, it became a reality when I, um, you know, the, the fortunes of the economy, the good fortunes for me of the economy in the late 90s as the, the dot-com boom started to happen. Um, you know, people were leaving to go into these, these technology fields and there was this just abyss, um, just an, a wide open job market in education. They were hiring people off the street. So literally I walked out of the University of Puget Sound with a BA in history and I was hired to teach uh, fifth grade in an elementary school. I had never been to, um, I hadn't been to earn my teaching credential or anything and it was called an emergency credential. Um, and it, they needed teachers that badly that they were willing to hire people like me. Who right off the street. Right off the street with a BA, and a, but I had a passion for wanting to do it. And uh, so that's where it started. And you know, the, the stipulation on my first contract was, it was only good, it was a year to year contract, and it was only good for three years. Um, and after those three years, if I hadn't earned my teaching credential, then it was, it was gone. So I had to make reasonable progress each year. Um, so I enrolled in the University of Redlands uh, and uh, worked on my teaching credential going through night school while I was teaching during the day. Um, and it was, it was a great experience, but that's, that's where I got my first opportunity. But I never wanted to be a teacher. So there wasn't the big plan. You no. probably had other ideas of what your future might look like. And then reality set in after college, you needed a job. Yep. Someone mentioned to you that the school district, wherever you were living at the time, was 
literally hiring people off the street with a BA. And at that time, it seemed like you probably already knew that you enjoyed working with children or that you had an affinity for coaching. Um, you or, bet. I, uh, you know, I had volunteered at a middle school down in Tacoma um, during college, uh, working with students. So the passion for students was always there, but it was not something I wanted to do. Both of my parents were elementary educators. Um, they were retired teachers, and uh, my older brother, um, he was a teacher, and he's now a principal himself in Colorado. So as coming along, I didn't want to be a teacher, um, but it was really that calling for me. And uh, I thought I would do it for five years, kind of like my Peace Corps, if you will, and then I'd get out and go do something else. And, and here I am, uh, uh, you know, about to start or starting my 21st year and still in it and still loving it. So you started in the classroom and then probably after a few years of classroom, um, th th either, I don't know, you were, your boss at the time was a principal of the school. Yep. And of course the principal then reports into uh, the district. Um, when did the calling to go beyond the classroom become apparent for you? Um, you know, I, I, I had a really interesting experience my first year of teaching after I ended that first year. Um, I was on a team of four teachers teaching fifth grade and three of my colleagues all left for different reasons to go to other schools or whatnot. So in my second year, here I was the most veteran teacher on my team as three new people came in. Um, and it put me in a position of leadership. Uh, and uh, I had had some previous experiences with leadership in college. Um, and so leader, you know, being a leader was something that always intrigued me and challenged me and that I was hungry for. So when I arrived in Colorado and I started teaching at a, a brand new school, the principal, Brian Ewart, um, he's the one who really tapped me to say, you know, you should really consider this. And, and you know, in education, the way you make more money or the fastest way is to get more education. So I knew I wanted to get a master's. And you went anyway. into public education only for the money, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're rolling in it right now. Um, but he, you know, he said, you know, you should really consider this. And I needed, I knew I wanted to earn a master's and so I enrolled. Um, and uh, again, went to night school and earned my master's in uh, administrative leadership and policy, and that's where I earned my um, teaching, or excuse me, my principal credential, um, with the full intention that I'd put it in my back pocket and continued teaching because I loved it. And um, I always wanted to teach high school, so I left the elementary classroom and got a chance to teach high school for a year, um, and that was fantastic. And then. The, the job that I couldn't turn down or at least apply for came available as an assistant principal um, at an elementary school that I knew of and that I wanted to be a part of. And I was hired, lucky enough to be hired for that. Um, so, you know, my maybe regret and yet not is that I only had six years in the classroom. Uh, and then I left to uh, move into administration uh, and did a year as an assistant principal and then was hired as the principal of that building. and. Here I am now, an assistant superintendent. I would never have thought it. <laughs> Wasn't part of the grand plan. Never. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw myself as a, as a teacher in the classroom forever. I see myself as a teacher every day. Yeah. You, that you, hasn't changed. The venue, the venue maybe has changed, but yeah. the, the whole philosophy behind teaching and always learning, yep. th that goes with you wherever you go. That's right. You mentioned Brian. Mm -hmm. Would you say he was an early mentor for you? Uh, 100%. Um, and still is. He's a superintendent back in Colorado. Um, 
So he went on to the district office and then uh, on to a superintendency, and now he's on his second superintendency in Colorado. And um, a great, a great mentor, absolutely. And what role do you think uh, mentors play in, you know, in your case as it relates to your success? Um, would it have been the same without a mentor? And what advice can you give to others out there that are maybe getting started in an industry or down a new career path in terms of the value of of seeking out a mentor? I wouldn't be here today without the mentors that I've had throughout my life, whether or not those were some who were family and some who were professional. Um, but I, I, you know, the mentors are those who challenge you, um, those who push you, those who encourage you, um, and those who make you a better person first and foremost. Um, and that's what the mentors in my life did. I've always had this running idea in my mind that if I was going to start a school and hired as the principal, or now that I'm in this role, if I'm ever hired, if I could start an imaginary school district, who would I want in different positions? And those are the people who have been my mentors to say, you know, I would like a Karen Broft in this situation. I want a Brian Ewert in this situation. I want a George Bozer in this situation. I want a Sid Rundle in this situation. Um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I need a um, uh, you know, a, um, you know, a, just key people that you want to put in place. And, and those are the people who I've always kind of put on my, you know, the cliche is the Mount Rushmore of mine, but the, you know, that's how I've done it. But mentors are, you, you've got to seek them out. Yeah. I mean, I look at, them. I look at, you know, the, my path in, in, in my profession and, you know, I think about, what are the mistakes that I've made? And I think back to, and I'm glad I made the mistakes because that's how I learned and it got me to this point, but not seeking out mentors because sometimes the mentors don't just show up. Sometimes you do have to seek them out. Yep. Sometimes they're right in front of you, but they're perhaps busy uh, doing whatever it is they're doing. Maybe in your case, Brian took a liking to you and was proactive, but it doesn't necessarily have to always be proactive on the part of the mentor. It's, it's important to understand that it's our job to seek mentors out and engage them. And it's surprising how easy it is if you just are willing to put yourself out there and ask for the help. Yeah, the mentors that have been assigned to me have certainly been influential, but they haven't been the ones that really had that. Um, there was more of a transaction and not a transformation. And so the transaction was, you're my mentor, I'm gonna see, you know, I've been assigned, you've been assigned to me, I've been assigned to you, we're gonna meet at certain times, and it's been really helpful. John Gutierrez comes to mind for that. Super helpful um, person, but. Assigned to you, meaning in a more formal way. Correct. Like the district is telling you, this person is going to, you're gonna shadow this person. Correct. Or, got it. Yep, and, and I think they play a certain role, but they're not necessarily the ones that transformed me. And, and move me into, um, you know, it, it got me perhaps to where I am today or, or inspired me. But you mentioned failures. I think a great mentor lets you fail as well. They don't just swoop in and, and, and rescue you. They let you fail and they help you then learn from that as you're going forward. Well, and that's as, as a parent, which I believe you are and <laughs> I, I am kids, myself, yeah. same. Um, we have to toe that line between yeah. recognizing our children may potentially be heading towards some failure of some sort, small, big, large, and at where do we want to cut that off and where do we also want to let it happen because life's the greatest teacher. That's right. Yeah, and it's, you know, the, my kids teach me things every day. Sometimes I, I, more times than not, 
I leave my work at night and think that being a dad is much harder than what I do day in and day out sometimes of trying to figure that out. But I've been fortunate to have an incredible wife um, to to join and partner with me and, and to try to, she's challenging me all the time too, to be a better person, to be a better dad. Um, and you know, however that works out in a family relationship, not all families work out perfectly like that. And they don't have to for kids to be successful, but gosh, parenting's a hard thing. Yeah, I think it's the toughest. <laughs> um, let's transition for a minute and talk a little bit about in, in your current role now, um, I imagine you are responsible for hiring, training, coaching, managing, supporting staff. You bet. And I'm curious to know what that looks like in terms of from the position of recruiting, um, trying to find talent. Um, you know, I'm not too familiar with what the market looks like right now for educators, for um, administrative professionals in the Seattle area, but can you talk for me a little bit about your role now as it relates to being a manager of people in terms of you know maybe being a mentor but also having to you know directly manage staff everything from hiring for a vacancy to coaching them through their position potentially sometimes having to terminate um i'd be interested to hear a little bit about that yeah, it's a little bit different as you in each facet of the organization in a school district because certainly a principal has a different role than a director and an assistant superintendent and then certainly the superintendent. But we, of course, we also have a school board um, who's elected officials who can be part of that. Um, starting with the recruiting process, the biggest change I've seen in education um, are just the job fairs that we're running and going to now at the time when I got hired and then even my first um, you know five six years as a principal you know I could put it I could, we didn't even have to really advertise on LinkedIn LinkedIn or Glassdoor or anything I mean it was you put something on the website and you were getting 50 60 70 applicants just for your position and we were you know are these educator positions? Educator or? positions. Okay. Um, so classroom teaching, teacher. Class, yeah, what I would consider certificated, positions that you needed a certificate for. Um, the rare exception that's always been the challenge to find are speech-language pathologists and OTs, PTs, the, you know, those Very specialized. more specialized. But classroom teachers, um, you know, but now it is completely flipped. Um, we can't get enough people in our profession right now. And so the recruiting is becoming really um, competitive with other school districts. Um, you know, we've gone to job fairs in California and Michigan and Nebraska, and you know, we're traveling now to try to go recruit people to come to the Seattle area. But we're not alone in this. I mean, this is nationwide. This, I'll okay, to, I'll go to a because I was going to say Seattle fair. specifically, where you see, you know, the the real estate prices over the past few years have skyrocketed, and yeah. maybe salaries in public education haven't necessarily followed, but you're saying it's not just Seattle. No, it's nationwide that we're struggling with. So on the, the recruiting side, you know, it's, we're having to be much more, um, perhaps much more uh, similar to our, our uh, counterparts in the private industry, um, trying to really find people. But and is this an HR function that the HR it's really folks an HR, own? yep, and they really run it, and I give our, a lot of credit to our HR departments for, for making some important shifts over the last five or six years. But, you know, we're going out with them to try to sell the district. You know, principals are going out. You know, we're taking some of our teachers with us. Um, as an assistant superintendent, I'm going out. And, so there's a war for you know, talent right now a war for in, in education. 
Education. Yep. Interesting. Yep. What do you attribute that to in your mind? Um, you know, we're, we have more and more students that we need to educate. As the economy has come back, people are less and less getting back into um, wanting to be in education because the money is different in the private sector doing things in the technology industry or in other areas. You can make a lot of money doing something that doesn't require the you know, just that emotional, social, psychological taxing that being an educator requires. And, you know, people certainly look at it and say, well, your contract is only 182 days. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. And, and, you know, I think most people understand that and see that it is a very challenging pro profession. But um, the money's getting better. Uh, we've had some important changes in this state um, and, and salaries have increased more than I've ever seen it before where um, you know, Seattle just finished their negotiations this year and, um, you know, top teachers with the most amount of experience and, and whatnot can be making, you know, 120000 So we're starting to see some money come into our profession, which will hopefully bring some more people in because right now we just, you know, the, the colleges of education, Seattle University, Seattle Pacific, others, you know, they're, they're working their tails off trying to get people just to enroll in their colleges. Um, so the problem starts even before absolutely. these these young next generation teachers are even out of school right. in terms of college. Yep. And so it kind of mirrors some of the issues that we see in the job market as it relates to software engineers. There's a yep. tremendous demand, but a low supply. Right. And so um, it's becoming increasingly, you're seeing now more STEM type programs, even at the uh, young public school or even private school education level trying to introduce kids to some of these things when they're in grade school um, in terms of software engineering and programming. So perhaps the same will be the case for future educators. We'll see what Start happens. seeing some programs at the elementary school. Right. So, but once we, you know, kind of completing your question, you know, where does the, the hiring and the firing come in yep. or whatnot? Um, you know, in, in my position, um, I'm hiring directors to, to lead alongside me, whether or not special education directors or um, uh, curriculum directors. You know, those are the folks that I'm working with. And then ultimately supporting the superintendent and hiring principals um, and then supporting principals and hiring teachers. But, you know, when they're, once folks are on our team, um, it's really about trying to capitalize on their talent and always trying to hire someone smarter than you who can push you and... and uh, uh, make the organization better. Uh, it's scary uh, to do that, but it's the it's the best thing you can do for your organization is to try to hire people who are going to make you better as as the leader hiring them. Um, you know, on our team, uh, you know, it it's not you know nothing is completely um, a horizontal um, pathway. You need some formal elements of leadership, but um, you know, I really try to work with our team that. We're all leaders, um, and we we need one another. And there's that that mutual that reciprocity that has to take place. Yeah, and it's you hear it a lot that uh, the best leaders are the ones who really, if they do one thing well, it's attract and retain really smart people right. that make them look really good. Yeah. And they don't have to do anything except that. If you can do that, you'll be successful. Right. Um, what role does refer do referrals play in your overall uh, recruiting and hiring? process do you do you find that you get some of your best hires through warm referrals um, I don't know if you actually have a number in terms of percentage it's uh, obviously for anybody in the talent acquisition field uh, you know referrals tend to be um, one of the better ways to hire and everyone's always thinking about how do we tap our 
employees to help generate more introductions to people that they already know. Uh, does that play a role in your district? I think it does. Uh, you know, we've, I've, I focused a lot on the certificated side, but kind of moving towards our support staff, um, technically called classified employees, doesn't require a certificate for positions. So we're thinking about teacher's assistants and um, custodians and bus drivers and others. And all the back office administrative Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, all the administrative assistants and IT um, and gosh yeah there's so many people that make an organization especially in um, a school district work but you know those the referrals on those are really important um, for some of those positions um, in education a lot of its reputation too um, you know what's the reputation of your school district and we've had to overcome quite a bit in the current district I'm in um, because we've had a reputation that our school district only hires people with experience that you know we're we don't have to hire new folks or and we've really had to work against that to say no we want people with all we want a spectrum of experience of people coming into our school district so that you know we have new teachers fresh out of school with ideas as well as people who are moving from another district who have been there for 25 years everyone can bring something but it's a lot in reputation in our in our um, in our field um, you know what kind of school district do you have how stable has it been you know has your superintendent been there for a while am I going to get professional development once I'm there um, because that's a big piece of the competitive every applicant is asking how are you going to help support me how are you going to help develop me and um, that's been something we've had to really focus on too and what would you say for you um, I don't know if you've had experience teaching or working administratively in a school district that perhaps isn't what you would consider I don't know what the term is in the industry but um, privileged maybe mm -hmm. where there's resources not just from um, the state money or the federal money, but also from the community in terms of the PTA and the subsidiary revenues that flow. What would you say is the biggest difference for someone in your position working in a district that I guess one would say is maybe privileged versus an underprivileged district? Yeah, I started off my career in what we would call a high Title I school. So a school with um, many students who could, who were qualifying for free and reduced lunch and receiving Title I funding, um, which is kind of the, the funding that goes along with um, um, schools where the students um, are, are you know, not as privileged economically. Um, so that's where I started my career and then um, kind of worked in Colorado in a district that kind of spanned the spectrum and worked in different buildings, kind of maybe more middle of the road, and now I'm in a, in a school district where it's very high socioeconomic um, compared to surrounding areas. So the big difference is where's the funding coming from? Um, there's a per pupil allocation that you're getting that's pretty set across the, across the board. And then there's enhancements from federal and state funding um, that come in. And you know, in <clears throat> districts with lower socioeconomics, you're getting more funding to try to make it more equitable. Um, versus a district that I'm in now, it's less about the, the, the public funding and you're turning more towards some of the private funding through schools foundations and PTAs who are helping to buoy up your system. Um, you know, there's never enough money, everyone says that, but at the same time, it's also how you spend the money. Um, so 
Um, so what you're saying is it, it kind of balances out in a way. Yeah, it, it does. And, and I think that in some ways is a great thing. And in some ways that's creating some of the inequities that continue to plague all of us in, in society and that we're seeing um, where, um, you know, are we really making inroads on that racial equity and, and socioeconomic equity? And, and, you know, we're not seeing it. But I oftentimes I, I tell our, our teachers and, and people in our district that just because you're in the district that you're in, you know, you don't, you should still be proud and still work your tail off because regardless, the students deserve great teachers. I don't care where they are in this country. Everybody deserves a great teacher. Everyone deserves a great principal. Um, and so no one in our profession should feel ashamed for where they work or more proud than somewhere else. Um, you know, we're all in this together to try to make society better. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, for anybody that, you know, works in education or uh, has kids that are involved in a, a public school system. This is, is great for them to hear because they maybe don't get to hear it from that, that side or that perspective. Um, let me just switch gears for a second and ask you, um, you know, personally for me, uh, those of you that know my background or follow me or listen to me, uh, I started my career in sales. So I got uh, early on quite a bit of sales training um, and I carry a lot of that with me today. And so the things that, that I do in my day-to-day -day life and work that seem to come naturally for a lot of folks maybe aren't as natural because it's not something that they've ever been exposed to in any kind of formal way. Uh, but I do believe um, that everybody needs to function in some capacity like a salesperson. We're all selling something. And I don't mean selling in a salesy kind of way where you're trying to convince someone to take something that they don't necessarily want or need. I'm saying presenting our ideas, ourselves, um, working in concert with others in our organization, with clients, with friends, with family. Um, what I didn't hear anything in your background about professional selling in any way, but I have to imagine that to get to the level that you're at today, there's a lot of that inherently inside you. And I wonder if you could speak for a minute about like where that comes from and how you tap into that and how others can maybe find that within themselves. Yeah, I, I, at least in, in public education, it's all about knowing what's your why. You know, why are, why are you in it? And making sure that there is a compelling reason and a believable reason of why you're doing it each and every day. And I think that's what's helped me all along is understanding myself and why I got into this. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about just last night, I was at curriculum night at my son's high school. Um, he's a freshman this year, so my first experience in a high school from the parent side. Um, I taught high school. I went to high school. Um, so I got We're in the same boat. My oldest is a, a female who's a freshman. freshman. And so we're both experiencing the same milestone yeah. at the same time. So, yeah, that's interesting. And it, so last night I was, as I sat through each of his classes and sat through each of the presentations, um, that's exactly what those teachers were doing. They were selling their their class, their themselves as teachers, what these students were going to experience. And it was clear that some were doing a better job than others um, with, with selling that and making me feel confident that you're going to help my son become, you know, a better person and a, and a better um, student and, you know, more socially and emotionally secure. And so, you know, even in that moment, a teacher was selling as a principal when I'd have um, um, families come in for tours or 
or um, you know events, PTA events or whatnot. The, every moment that people are there, you're selling the school. You're selling that this is a safe place. This is a good place for your kid. That um, you know they're going to be okay by coming through the system. And you know when you're when you're in the classroom as a teacher, you're trying to sell a student that they should care. That that this learning is is more important than anything else right now. Um, so salesmanship or or, or selling things is. You know, it's just a different product in education, but we're doing it every single day. Right. And my thing is, you know, I learned early on and I believe it to this day that when you really strip it down, you talked about knowing your why. It kind of speaks to my belief that sales is really just a transfer of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're not really selling. You're essentially just sharing something that's you're passionate about and something that you're you have a conviction for. And that becomes infectious. So you mentioned the teachers uh, last night, those that were doing a better job, perhaps they're more connected to the meaning behind what they're doing. Right. Um, they've been able to tap into that. Not that the others don't have a connection to what they're doing, but maybe they haven't yet figured out how to communicate or express that, or they're still struggling with it. But as human beings, it's, we're pretty perceptive. Yep. And so, you know, when you think of sales, you immediately, a lot of people, I think, go to the negative where it's like someone's trying to push something. But the best salespeople don't really sell anything. They just share what they're excited about and also knowing how to listen. So the 80-20 rule, yep. you know, listening 80% of the time, talking 20% of the time. How do you do that? Well, you ask good open-ended questions and you let others talk. What do they say? Um, you never learn anything when you're speaking. Although in this case, I'm, I appreciate all your speaking. <laughs> well, I, you know, and, you know, some of that verbal processing helps. But I, I think there, the the next piece about that in in teaching, in terms of, um, you know, that delivery as a teacher, you know, it's it's not about having all the answers as a teacher and imparting on that on students. Um, you know, I think that was maybe a model once upon a time. The best teachers today are the ones who are who are passionate and and excited about what they're doing, but they're not making kids learn. The kids are getting hungry because they're bringing it out of them. You engage. You I think engage. back to my favorite teachers, and I didn't have a lot, but the one or two, <laughs> um, I I remember them being very engaging, and it was a conversation. It wasn't a lecture. Right. Um, when it's a lecture and the information is being spoon fed, and then you're just there to consume it as a student. A lot of times you can disconnect, um, and that I think applies to anything. Whether you're interviewing for a job, uh, working uh, alongside other folks in your organization, whatever it might be that you're doing, focus on the conversation, that dynamic exchange, so that it's equitable and it's not just you giving information and someone else receiving it or vice versa. It's a, it's a sharing. Before we wrap up, um, if you think about your your professional life over the next five, ten, twenty years, what would you say would be your you know, what are you aiming for? What's the one thing that you hope to achieve or accomplish? Not necessarily uh, a specific role or level, but just at a very high level, philosophically. Um, you know, it, on a personal level, I want to continue to feel happy and inspired and have a sense that what I'm doing is truly making a difference. Um, Professionally, on the flip side, is you know I hope that I can continue continue to contribute to organizations to help 
whether or not it's the school district or it's a multitude of school districts or, or whatnot, to you know push the envelope and continue to be innovative and meet students um, in, in new and interesting ways of where they are and take them somewhere else. So, um, you know, people oftentimes ask, well, how about a superintendency or whatnot? That might come, you know, but I, like I said, I never wanted to be a teacher. I never wanted to be a principal. I never wanted to be an assistant principal. These things have come along just because I've kind of followed a path and, and stayed interested and engaged and really excited about what we're doing. Um, so wherever that takes me, um, I just want to be able, someone who contributes. Yeah, and you think back to the kid working at Pizza Hut for a month, yeah. to, to have envisioned yourself here would have probably been almost impossible, but I think the one attribute that you have uh, that I can tell is an open-mindedness and a willingness to kind of let the world unravel itself. And you know, they always say, life's what happens when, you, when you're busy making other plans, right? Yeah. So um, we can sit and try to make sure we're doing this very specific thing, but if we ignore what the world is presenting to us, we may be potentially pushing out great opportunities. So Every day. Well, I could say, uh, Fred, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, we're grateful to have you as part of uh, the community and in the public great. school uh, system. Your uh, reputation is sterling, and so keep up the good work. Thanks. Appreciate it, Thank Scott. you, and thank, thank you, you for listening and watching, and we'll see you guys again soon.